This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, January 8th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Town Council kicks off 2024. Justin Criado lies to his cat. Capital Conversation talks General Assembly. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, a front-range man passed away over the weekend in Telluride. Rakesh Reina of Longmont, Colorado and Himachal Pradesh, India, was found unresponsive by his family in his rented Viking Lodge unit. EMS arrived and initiated life-saving measures for over 20 minutes before he was transported to the Telluride Regional Medical Center, where he was soon pronounced dead. Reina was 73 years old. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Reina was a devoted husband and family man, moving his family to Colorado from India in part due to his love of the mountains. The cause and manner of death is under investigation. Reina is survived by his wife, Arti, his children, Kunal, Kanika, and Kavisha, and his five grandchildren. This Tuesday, Town Council is back for another year of local governing and discussion. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson stopped by Kodo to fill us in on their first meeting of 2024, with boards and commissions, a mayoral address, and more on the docket. In terms of what listeners should be listening for, things kick off right at 10 a.m. tomorrow with a work session um, on boards and commissions. What what's uh, what's that all about? Yeah, uh, work session 1A right at 10 o'clock will uh, be discussing uh, really for the second time now in front of council the concept of making some key modifications to uh, potentially the the terms um, that uh, volunteers can serve on our various boards and commissions. Currently, only our town council has term limits, um, but that is something that has uh, been discussed and being considered, particularly um, through the lens of uh, diversifying our commissions where possible and, and just getting more voices around the table um, over the years on our boards and commissions. Also looking at eligibility and really trying to continue to open up eligibility on our boards and commissions even more so than they are today and allowing for in the future potentially um only the need to be a resident uh, to serve on our boards and commissions. That would be a change. And then the composition, uh, again, how many members are on each of these uh, boards and commissions, really trying to streamline and find consistency uh, between all of those many boards uh, that we have out there. A little bit of cleanup, but also an opportunity in the big picture to um, add more participation and more uh, diversity to our boards and commissions where possible. So after that morning discussion, which could come back at some point for mm-hmm. a vote down the road, um, it looks like we've got a state of the town address in the afternoon. Yeah, it's uh, very exciting. Uh, you know, this first meeting of the new year every year, um, 
the mayor will give a uh, state of the town address. This will be Mayor Teddy Errico's uh, first state of the town address, obviously. So we really look forward to kind of hearing through his perspective um, some of the accomplishments of, of 2023, but uh, even more importantly, some of the uh, important initiatives in front of the town in 2024. So it'll be great to hear from Mayor Errico on that. Um, that'll be right after the one o'clock hour as we kick into the afternoon session. And it looks like you've also got some um, new staff members to introduce in 2024. We do. We're going to have three different positions uh, that we've been able to fill that we'll introduce. We have a new sustainability and grant administrator um, in Darren Graber that uh, we're going to introduce. That's going to be a position very focused on going after all those state and federal funds that are out there. And then uh, the town of Telluride, for the first time, will be bringing child care under our community services uh, department and uh, taking on um, uh, Elaine's place over at Chandoka, that child care center, and we'll be naming um, uh, Leah Roman, uh, our longtime uh, director out there. She'll now be a, a town employee and will be our new child care director, which is very exciting. So we'll introduce her along with, um, we've been able to fill an open senior planner position uh, with uh, John uh, Strandberg, who uh, lives in the region, and we're very lucky to get him on board in that critical senior planning position. Cool. And there's one there's one last thing in the afternoon that listeners should maybe look out for, and that's a changing ordinance around construction noise. That's exactly right. Uh, the town of Telluride for many, many years has had a pretty complex noise ordinance related to uh, construction, and we're looking to simplify uh, more than anything and get our construction hours to uh, probably an 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, and then uh, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday as far as a noise ordinance uh, is concerned. Hopefully that simplified noise ordinance will be of great benefit to everybody Uh, our citizens, uh, first and foremost. All right, Scott, we look forward to uh, seeing you tomorrow at Town Hall. Looking forward to it. Should be a great meeting. What are the lies you tell your cat? They can't decipher if it's a lie or the truth anyway it's just kind of me talking to myself so that's kind of the idea behind it like lies i tell my cat because those are the the only creatures that'll listen to me (laughs) and not question what i'm putting out there that's local author justin criado on his new book lies i tell my cat it's a collection of nonfiction essays there's uh there's 12 in this book mostly uh previously unpublished written specifically for this collection and and then there are some pieces that were previously published that i uh that I reworked. This week, Criado is hosting a book reading and Q&A. Similar to his first collection of essays, Chronicles of Chaos, Criado says the subject matter runs the gamut. No really rhyme or reason or over, overarching theme to it. So you get a little bit of everything. There's even some sports writing in this one as well. A former journalist, Criado says he treats the essays like journalism, with elements of fiction sprinkled in. I intersperse some fictional elements into it, so there's definitely some supernatural and and weird, fantastical themes going on there, but they're all based in reality. He says he starts with the truth and takes it to the hypothetical level. One story sparked from the Chinese balloon that took media by storm last year considers the presence of aliens. It's, it's more like human interest. You know, like how people react to stuff. Like, what like what would you do if you saw an alien? Like, we think we're ready, 
but we're probably not. And then like a weather balloon goes rogue and it causes like international panic. And uh, so, yeah, I plug into like those things, like people's psyches more than anything, which I think, you know, it's kind of like the truth is stranger than fiction. Criado's favorite essay from the book is Night Cafe about a haunted bar. Which was inspired by basically every bar in town because supposedly they're all haunted. But I've never necessarily seen anything. But with this story, the people haunt the bar, the patrons. With a variety of subjects, Criado says readers can latch on to what speaks to them the most. You know, and you don't necessarily have to follow along with a plot. Uh, So yeah, people just pick it up and just even if they laugh or smirk at one of the stories, that's really all I want. And maybe, you know, they could relate to it as well, especially if you're living in Telluride and, you know, you you see some of the same things that are going on. Criado acknowledges being a self-publishing author is no easy feat, but he feels he has to do it. It's like brushing your teeth. Like if you don't do it, you feel kind of cruddy. If I don't write for an extended period of time, it feels like I'm all pent up. So it's like it's like bloodletting to a degree. And he already has the next project in the works. Has the working title, Spirit Adrift. It's going to be more travel pieces, so that will be the loose theme, which I've never really had a theme to work within. But I have enough material stories from just going to different places that I think I could put that in a book and kind of make it more comprehensive because it's all learning experience when you do it all yourself. Author Justin Criado will host a book reading, signing, and Q&A at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery on Wednesday, January 10th at 5.30 p.m. Between the Covers Bookstore will have copies available at the reading as well as on their bookshelves. 2024 is officially underway and the Colorado General Assembly is about to kick off. In the first installment of Capital Conversation for the new year, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods gives a preview on what to expect. Hey Lucas, thanks for coming back once more for another installment of Capital Conversations. No problem. Very happy to be here and very happy to dive into the 2024 legislative session. Yeah. So 2024 General Assembly getting together on Wednesday. Uh, How's that feeling for you? It's very exciting. And there's a lot of really exciting things that we're expecting to see come out of this session. Housing is top of mind for for lawmakers on both sides of the aisle this year, as, as it generally was last year. And uh, they they seem to have pretty different ideas of how to approach it, which is unsurprising. Can you dive a little deeper into what that housing legislation will look like? Governor Polis is is also focused on housing, and he and the Democrats last year put forward a bill that was a sweeping bill that would have made changes to zoning rules, land use rules across the state in order to increase housing density. That was the goal of the bill. And and this year, Democrats have told me that they want to take that huge land use bill that they tried to pass and failed to pass last year and break it up into smaller, digestible components. One of those pieces focuses on will focus on transit because last year's bill wanted to develop higher density transit-oriented housing, so housing around public transportation. And Leadership, Democratic leadership, says that that needs more attention. Developing that public transportation needs more attention. And so they've separated that into a specific bill or, or a series of bills we have yet to see exactly. But they're hoping that, that, that these will, they'll be able to get some of these measures, if not all of these measures, passed 
without some of the conflicts with local government interests that they had last year. Now, on the other side of the aisle, the Republicans are very focused on construction defects and how they believe that that is preventing developers from building more housing, right? We need more housing, in their opinion, making it easier and incentivizing developers to build that housing is key. And they say standing in their way is high costs of construction defect insurance and the risks that they face and have to pay for with construction, with people suing over issues with construction after the fact. And I will say that that actually has support from the governor as well and some support from the Democrats. So that's a little bit more of a bipartisan um, policy than than changing land use rules and, and upping density. So that is definitely going to be a, a major topic of conversation over the coming weeks and months. Is there anything else that from this point, pre-session starting, um, know that's going to be top of mind for lawmakers? Yeah, definitely. Both parties say they're expecting bills around things like public safety, the cost of health care, youth mental health, climate change, public education, and economic inequity. Um, the, both, both parties generally want to look at those things, um, you know, with, with, I'm sure we will see some differing approaches to those. Substance use is also top of mind, especially fentanyl and opioids. And this interim committee on opioids and substance use has put together four bills uh, that, they're, that they're moving forward with. And those are centered around uh, prevention of substance use, um, treatment of substance use, recovery, and uh, protections for healthcare workers. Politics aside, you're going to be heading back into the Capitol building later this week. What's the thing that you are most excited about for being back in that building outside of the politics that goes on in there? This is going to be my second session covering the legislature. And so, you know, last year, I, to be honest, to be perfectly transparent, I was learning a lot as I went. And this year, I'm really excited to not only dive into some of these issues, but also I, I'm really excited to focus my coverage more on the people of Colorado and the constituents of these lawmakers as opposed to the lawmakers themselves, because I think that's the coverage the people of Colorado really deserve and is more useful is sort of constituent-centered coverage about policy rather than lawmaker-centric coverage around policy. Of course, I'm still going to be there to keep these lawmakers accountable and ask them the hard questions. But I think it's also when we dive into some of these policy issues, I think it's even more important to hear what everyday folks in Colorado think about these and how it will affect them. So I'm excited to, uh, to approach coverage in that way, too. All right. Well, that's not as much of a fun answer as like an M&M machine, but it was a really good answer. So I'll accept it. <laughs> Lucas, thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes to chat with me today. We'll keep checking in with you as the session continues and getting all the updates from from Denver and from the lawmakers who are you know making decisions that really impact our lives here. It's important stuff. And I, you know, I love to talk to you and to your listeners. So I look forward to it, too. Thanks for having me. That was KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver. Recreating in the backcountry can bring stoke and adventure, but also accident and heartbreak. To help individuals stay safe this winter, our Telluride's Backcountry Chats. Whether you're a seasoned backcountry skier or totally new, the talks are designed to help recreators and interested community members learn more about snowpack, snow science, safety, and more. 
January's backcountry chat will focus on communication in the backcountry. The chat will include avalanche trivia, information about local backcountry radio protocol, radio etiquette, and a presentation from Colorado Avalanche Information Center forecaster Jeff Davis. Backcountry chats are a collaboration between the Peter Inglis Avalanche Education Fund, the Telluride Mountain Club, Mountain Trip, Telluride Mountain Guide, San Juan Outdoor Adventures, and Telluride Heli Tracks. The January Backcountry Chat will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Thursday, January 11th at 6 p.m. With the new year, a once-controlled substance is becoming legal in Colorado. But if your mind goes to the latest fad psychedelic drug, think again. We're talking crawfish. That's right. With the arrival of 2024, the possession, transport, and importation of red swamp crawfish is now legal in Colorado. The crustaceans, known variously as crawdad, mudbug, langoustines, and a plethora of other names, are a staple of Louisiana and Creole culture. In New Orleans and elsewhere, spring crawfish boils are an important community event. While the importation and possession of red swamp crayfish is now allowed, the cultivation or release of any crayfish in Colorado streams and waterways remains illegal in order to protect the state's native species from competition and threat. The changes come after Colorado Parks and Wildlife, which is charged with regulating the red swamp crayfish and other crawdad species, became aware of a large illegal marketplace for the crayfish in Colorado. The agency decided to adjust its rules so the marketplace could continue legally with more oversight. Crayfish importers must now obtain a license from CPW. A Farmington, New Mexico musician is channeling John Cage and his Navajo ancestors to honor those lost in the long walk. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has the story of a musical performance that will run for four and a half years. Delbert Anderson is a jazz musician and composer in Farmington, New Mexico. A few years ago, he was having dinner with a musician friend north of San Francisco. It was a sushi spot. <laughs> we were waiting on a table talking about different compositions, and the idea of silence came about. The conversation turned toward the use of silence in musical compositions. And then he brought up John Cage, and we talked about you know his famous piece, the silent piece. Was it 433? 433 is among the most famous works by 20th century composer John Cage. In the piece, the performing musicians sit at concert rest, poised to play their instruments, but never doing so. As they waited for a table, Anderson and his friend riffed on John Cage's use of silence. He started to say that there's this other piece. It's like 600 years long, and I thought, whoa, that's, you know, pretty cool. I never knew about that. The 600-year-long piece is called As Slow As Possible. It's a series of notes performed over centuries, with intermittent periods of silence lasting months. It's a performance that outlives the performers. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Like, wow, 600 years, and you're only going to average be there 70 to 100 years of this composition alive. 
It was these conversations that inspired Delbert Anderson's own experiments with silence and time. I want to do a piece that's long, but within someone's lifetime. Alrighty, well, we'll go ahead and get started. Recently, Anderson launched a performance of a piece he calls The Long Walk. The piece is short compared to the John Cage work that inspired it, a total of 50 notes played over four and a half years. But where John Cage was focused on conceptual abstractions of sound and time, Anderson has woven cultural history into his composition. Um, thanks for coming out. My name is Delbert Anderson. In December, Anderson gathers with community members and musicians at an art gallery in Farmington. The performance tonight is a single note played for a 30-second interval, a concert D. And those of you who want to participate, you're welcome to sing the note as well. You can hold the note as long as you, you want. Some people just do a simple bop and that's it. And Each note of the composition comes every month or two over 1,674 days. That's the length of time Navajo people were forced from their homeland in the 1860s by the U.S. government. We thought it was just kind of a march, but they were well taken care of and, you know, they eventually got sent back home. So what's the big deal kind of thing. So when I started seeing how, like, you know, our ancestors were treated, it was mind blowing. In his research, Anderson learned Navajo people were malnourished and weren't clothed properly. They were forced to walk 450 miles to an internment camp in New Mexico. During some periods, 20 to 30 starved each week. These are the details performers and audience members consider in the moments before the note is played. So, all righty, let's go ahead and get ready. One, two, three, and... The musicians hold the D note as we reflect on a history that's more than a hundred years old. Following the note, there's silence for some time. Awesome. Yeah. When I played that concert uh, D on my trombone, I just felt echoes of like generations of, of ancestors. Sam Botter is a trombonist and a native Hawaiian who lives in Farmington. It was spiritually very grounding, and I think I really felt it in the silence after I played. Like, I played the note, and then there was that silence for me. The note was still going, but I had to close my eyes and just kind of sit and think with it for a little bit. The 50th and final note will be performed on June 1st, 2028. In the intervening time, several dozen additional notes will be played. Between each of those notes, there are periods of silence. Silence that reminds us of the deprivations and uncertainties Navajo people faced during their long walk in the 1860s. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partial clouds tonight with a low around zero and wind chill dipping down to negative 10 degrees. Tuesday, clouds will increase throughout the day, and Tuesday night brings a 40% chance of snow. The high Tuesday should be near 25 degrees, with a nighttime low around 10. Wednesday, expect snow showers to continue with a high near 20 degrees and sustained winds around 15 miles per hour. Frigid temps, wind, and snow showers are likely to continue into Wednesday night, when the low is near 10. This has been the news for Monday, January 8th. 
Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.